0: Kids, you can be dismissed to go to your class this morning. Thank you, teachers, for your hard work and teaching these kiddos. For the rest of you kids, stay with us. I have an an important announcement here. I want to draw attention right now in this room to children, students, 18 years old and down, okay? I'm looking, I'm scanning, I'm seeing, okay? Okay. I, we've got a handful of kiddos here. I want to make a prediction that might, in fact, impact your life today. Before this service is done, one of you will have a $10 bill in your hands. $10 that will be yours to keep. Just one of you, not all of you, be clear. But one of you will have 10 bucks. You might even use that to stock up for the Nerf War tonight. You might need that. But you can work with your parents and uh, spend it however you you want. But you don't have it yet. I'm just saying, by the end of the service, one of you is going to have $10. I titled the sermon, Anticipation and Arrival. And I was wrestling with, how can I illustrate this? Passage, and I thought you know it'd be interesting to see what would happen in our young people if they knew at the end of the service maybe ten bucks would be theirs. Who knows? And so that is what I'm hoping to see. Now here's the thing: uh, you have to be here at the end of the sermon. So don't be leaving. And don't fall asleep. Anticipation. I want to see what it looks like in your eyes as we go through this morning. Okay. All right. What a text we have. I think you'll see where I'm going with this illustration as we dig into these verses today. Spectacular as we journey through the Gospel of Luke. Would you pray with me as we prepare for these verses? Lord, I'm excited to share this joy, Your rich living Word brought to us, preserved, inerrant, with authority, confidence, clarity, sufficiency, And Lord, through your spirit, even now, you bring these words to us, to bless us, to call us, to build us, to to strengthen our faith and call us forward in our walk with you today. Father, these people, these verses, this place, this time, ordained by you. I'm excited to share in this journey together, to, to bring to your people what you've laid on my heart as we've journeyed together this week, and I pray for your help in this. Lord, if I attempt this without you, nothing will happen. There will be no fruit. But with you, we can change and shake this place that we would all be more like Jesus, and that our mission would be more in view, and that our anticipation of your return, Lord Jesus, would be sharp and, uh, and precise as we walk through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anticipation and arrival, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. Let's begin with the first few verses here, verses 21 through 24. At the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, just kind of dive into this a little bit with me and and, uh, and picture Luke bringing this material to us. Luke has a purpose in not only uh, the details he includes, but the way he arranges them. So we've been moving through the account that he has collected through eyewitnesses, and uh, most likely here, he's still interviewing Mary and having Mary fill in the gaps. Tell me, Mary, what was it like? Tell me about this, what, when this happened. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the very word of God as he gives this account, this collection of eyewitness accounts and then preserved for us here. So she is probably giving him some of these details. Well, on the eighth day, as is required by the law, we took Jesus uh, and we had him circumcised. The public circumcision uh, that would have required ten witnesses and all of that detail that we kind of watched uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah go through with John the Baptist, same, same thing happening here, only now the name which is drawn attention to, is the name Jesus. This name was given uh, by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. The name was given. It was also given uh, to Joseph by the angel, right? So both are, are called to name this child Jesus. There's no debate. It's a real easy decision. This is his name. Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation. Comes from the Old Testament Hebrew uh, of Yeshua or Joshua. And uh, so you see Jesus, a significant name, obviously, purposed by God, brought to Joseph and Mary, and the name itself is a proclamation of who he is and his ministry on this earth. Now, I couldn't help but note Joseph and Mary's careful obedience. To the law. They're, they're wanting to, to, to be careful to not miss anything. It's very important that they follow uh, all of the steps required to establish Jesus as a fully credentialed Jew. He is a, a, a firstborn. There's requirements for that. He is a, a, a Jewish boy. That means he is to be circumcised. And they're very careful to pay attention to these things. They knew the Old Testament and what it required. And as faithful Jews, they were happy to oblige those requirements in worship of the Lord. It was an obedience from the heart, uh, which is what true obedience always is. So what that means is that Jesus would have made his first trip as a, a child to Jerusalem. And you've got to just stop and consider this. Jesus arriving in Jerusalem for the very first time and then ascending the southern steps. And you can see in the background here, this is a picture of the southern steps uh, in Jerusalem of the Temple Mount, okay? In fact, I was looking closer at this when I was there, and right here is an archway. You see this right here, how this has been bricked in? This used to be an entrance, a doorway. Uh, This whole wall over on this side was added later on Uh, by the Arabs when they took Jerusalem and uh, took over the city. So, So knock this whole section of wall down and picture the temple mount right here and these steps. These are the actual stones that Joseph and Mary would have ascended to bring Jesus to the temple and gone up through in the gate and into the temple courts. I couldn't help but but have this memory, and we we sat. That's our group. We're sitting on those very steps, the same steps. Now, that wouldn't have been the only time that Jesus ascended those steps. Many times, over and over and over through his life, he would have gone up those stairs into the temple courts for worship, celebration, for teaching. So we have a, a setting now. We can picture this. Joseph and Mary bringing the child. They were to come to the temple within the first month. Uh, okay, so about 30, 40 days somewhere in there have passed, and here they come uh, up to the temple. Now, the firstborn is to be holy to the Lord. Do you remember when we moved through Exodus, where this was first mentioned? In the context of the Passover. You remember this? The firstborn of all of Egypt was taken by the wrath of God as. A sign, a punishment. And Pharaoh's son was killed. The firstborn was identified single of man and beast, slain by the Lord. It was the twelfth and the greatest display of God's power. He brought Egypt to their knees under this plague. However, he passed over all of the homes where the blood of the Lamb was painted on the doorpost of the house. And not any of those who had done that lost their firstborn. The firstborn is holy to the Lord. We read in Exodus 13, this command, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whoever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast. Now, if it was a beast, certainly of, of, of a clean animal, that firstborn of the animal that was clean was sacrificed. His blood was shed as a a demonstration of ownership of the Lord over the firstborn. Obviously, God is not a God of child sacrifice. And so he called Israel then to make a sacrifice on behalf of the firstborn of a lamb to be killed in, in their place. Later on in the book of Numbers, we find that uh, the redemption of the firstborn of humans, male and female, was to be five shekels of silver. And so that was a a redemption price. And this just struck me, what would it have been like to go to the temple and redeem Jesus? Those words just kind of weird us out. Wait, we're redeeming the Redeemer. We're paying the purchase price to, to, in a sense, acknowledge that this child is, in fact, the Lord's, and he, he's only ours to raise by redemption, payment to the Lord. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a, a gift to the Lord, and so they did as the law commanded them in these things. Now, there was also a purification, as the verses point us to, because when a Uh, a mother would give birth to a a child, there was uh, a period of time where she was unclean. So let's read the requirement in Leviticus for this. When the days of her purifying are complete, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring uh, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, this is tabernacle days, a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. So two different offerings are required here. Burnt offering and a sin offering uh, happening together. She shall, uh, the priest will offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And then this provision is given. This is an interesting detail. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. That's an interesting accommodation by the Lord in His grace to say, listen, I understand there are, there are those who do not have the resources to offer a lamb. And if that's the case, then here's provision for you. And so we see in this, look at the verse as it says. In verse 24, they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This displays for us, in fact, that Joseph and Mary were quite poor. They couldn't afford the lamb as they offered the sacrifice for purification. And so they brought uh, the two young pigeons, one for the sin offering and one for the purification. And then, in that sense, um, you see in verse 22, the, the time came for their purification. So there was a, a, a joint sacrifice that was taking place, not just Mary, but also Joseph needed cleansing to be right before the Lord again. An interesting thing for those who would suggest, in fact, that Mary was sinless, that Mary somehow was chosen because of her great sinlessness and that somehow Jesus is derived from Mary in that holy state, we would say wrong again. Here's another display of atonement. And the need for Mary to be right before the Lord, a sin offering is made. And so it's important to keep our theology biblical as the Word presents it. So there again, we, just, we have to acknowledge this. In walking with the Lord, there are commandments to be followed precisely and faithfully and particularly. This is honoring to God and this is good, so long as it comes from a heart of obedience, where the heart of obedience is happy to obey, happy to, to, to strive and work for his glory and fear him. Now, with that in the backdrop, we kind of understand why we're at the temple. Something very significant happens as they're in the preparing for this work and and walking through all of the requirements of these ceremonies. Let's read verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ Uh, Just pause there. Uh, Christ is another way to to say the the Messiah. Let's kind of list out what we learn about this man, Simeon. There's a few things that we can uh, understand from this. I I would suggest this is an old man, an old man that would uh, be there uh, because he's been given this promise that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah. And so he is advanced in years, we could say, a righteous and devout man. When the text describes him as righteous and devout, it it shows him as a faithful observer of God's commandments. He is one who in faith is looking to God in obedience through sacrifices to see his uh, sins atoned for and to then live out the kind of obedience and the kind of life that brings God glory. The thing that I think stands out for me, though, is that there's nothing beyond that that points to any significant role or distinguished mark of this man. He's just a normal man. He's not described as a priest. He's not described as a a mover and shaker in Jerusalem. This is just a a layman, a a normal, uh, faithful, God-honoring, worshiping, devout man. It says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the comfort. He's he's longing to see Israel be comforted. And this is a a reference, I believe, to a lot of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, And as he is looking back, he sees there is a future that is to come. There are promises that will be fulfilled. And each day he would wait for this, longing for this. It's not insignificant at all that it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. In fact, I just have to pause here and say, have you noticed in the first two chapters of Luke how often this comes up? We have been given this view to the third person of the Godhead multiple times, and we're just a few verses into the gospel of Luke. We have a triune God at work in this moment as Luke Describes these things. He wants us to see this. The Father sending, loving, giving. The Son coming, humbling, being born incarnate. And the Spirit at work. Stirring, revealing. And giving worship to those, even just ordinary, faithful men. He was promised that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. What if the Spirit of God came and said, before you die, Jesus will return? How would that change the way you wake up in the morning? How would that change what we do here? Because word's going to spread. You're going to be telling people, "This, this is what I was given. The Lord promised this to me. I'm telling you what, you roll out of bed in the morning, totally differently especially when you're advanced in years. The older you get, the more the crescendo builds because you know it's close. It's got to be soon. Imagine. Simeon would have been a man on a mission every day. He was looking. And even though his eyes were old, and maybe he had a hard time seeing. I guarantee you what? He was attentive, and he was anticipating and longing, just like these young people are looking for that $10 bill. They're waiting, and they're attentive. They're taking notes. Simeon was tuned in and ready. He was waiting. Let's keep going. Verse 27 And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Wow, what a moment this would have been. If you're Mary, you're like, okay, who's this guy? You, you, you Get your hands off my baby, right? This is my firstborn. You know, you know how parents, when they have for the firstborn child, everything is a big deal. We, he's crying. Ah, what do we do? By the time you have your thirdborn, you're like, hey, it'll be fine, right? <laughs> But they come up into the temple, and this really old man takes their son and breaks into joy. For Joseph and Mary, this was a moment that time stood still. All of the noise around them, all of the activity, it would have been like it all just just quieted down. And they were listening to the words of this man. As you promised, so you have delivered. This is the day I've been waiting for. Since the moment I was given this hope, every waking moment has been building to this moment. My hope has been realized. The Messiah has arrived. Now, for those of us who know the impact of this, it just gives you shivers. But how few people would have had that experience at this moment? Joseph and Mary, they knew, they understand the significance of this. My eyes have seen your salvation, your salvation, what all of this consolation of Israel, all of this comfort, all of this hope, all of the prophecies, this all builds to this place, this moment. This child is the Lord's salvation. What an amazing thing for Joseph and Mary to hear. Now I can rest in peace. Now I can die in peace. But the peace that he had been anticipating was realized in Christ. Rest in peace. I don't like rip. I'm not a fan of that. Rip, so and so. I prefer to just write it out. Rest in peace. And let's be clear. The only resting in peace that anyone will ever do is in jesus there is no rest in peace apart from christ it is eternal torment forever this man we will sing the glory of god with forever simeon someday will get to meet him the old man who has been resting in peace and joy from the moment that the lord brought him home which probably wasn't all that long After this happened, rest in peace. A light for revelation to who? Doesn't that just, you hang up there? Okay, wait. Um, We are in Jerusalem. We are in the temple. This is happening. And he says, this child, the salvation of the Lord, is a light for revelation for? the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. Do you realize how small the people of God are, the Jews? They were talking about a small, tiny group of people in this area. And he says, this is not just about the Jews. This is about the whole world. Salvation of God and glory for the people of Israel. It is amazing how much you see the plan of old, just blatantly on display in the Old Testament. I sat with Pastor Vitali this last week, and he was just telling me how, how much he's just coming alive and, and delighting in the fact that God's plan of old has always been for the nations. For the nations. That the people that he chooses would be those who would proclaim the light to the nations. Praise God, and here we are nations celebrating, worshiping the salvation of the Lord his father and mother were they they marveled at what was said about their son Jesus they marveled at this again I, I just hear Mary in this just treasured these things up in my heart this was another moment that I couldn't just stop thinking about what this man said of my child Struck me to the core. Hmm. What an awesome moment that was. Now, Simeon has some more words to say, and they're a little bit ominous. It's an ominous blessing that Simeon gives. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow, what do we make of this? What does that mean? If you're Joseph and Mary, you're just kind of like, can, can you build that out for us? Say a little more? Remember, the Holy Spirit is upon this man, and now I think this blessing really becomes prophetic. This is a prophetic blessing. And it, what's interesting is it's not just about the child. He's speaking this to them, to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The fall and rising. Now, uh, the rest of the New Testament will build this out for us. But what you have here pictured is Christ as one who will bring many down and who will bring many up. And what do we make of this? Well, listen to a few of these verses. One from Peter, 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, okay, now we know we're not talking about a rock anymore. Whoever believes in him, the stone, chosen and precious, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. That's the rising, see? Those who believe in Him, those are those who rise. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. There will be many who fall over this stone. They're walking through life and trip and fall. They go down. They're judged by the righteousness of this stone. A rock of offense. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. The Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ. And then he says, crucified, A Savior who was slain. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. There's that that idea. The, The Jews fall over that. What do you mean a Savior who was killed? That's not a Savior. That's not impressive or glorious. We're talking about a Savior who conquers. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. This is folly. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, the ends of the earth once again, It's Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the salvation of God. You see how these things build out? Many will fall over this rock, and many will be raised because of this cornerstone. He will be a sign opposed. He will be the revealer of hearts. Oh, do we not see this in the ministry of Christ? But just again, picture Joseph and Mary hearing these words. Your child is going to experience tremendous opposition. He will be a sign, a a witness of the voice of God and opposed. He will reveal hearts. Hearts will be revealed through his ministry, through his life. Think as you study Jesus. We'll see this in weeks ahead. How often Jesus was through the Spirit's power given knowledge of the heart and then spoke words that basically cut people to the core. Hmm. And then to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And This would have caught, because here's the thing, much of this is, is, is celebratory, and you love it when people are talking about your child and, and it's awesome, it's, it's amazing. And then he says this to Mary and, and you have this moment where you're like, whoa, what? That sword that pierced her soul on the day that Jesus was killed, it would have been devastating. This is an ominous blessing. And as if those words are just ringing in the air. So Simeon is just doing his thing. You can just picture him now. Okay, I guess I'll give them back. I, I just want to hold them. I'd like to stay here for everybody. It's like he's, he's just passing the child back to Mary. We read on. Anna's delight. Verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years She comes into this this scenario and it's like she just picks up where Simeon leaves off and the story continues. Luke just seamlessly weaves this just right in. Who is this woman, Anna? She's an old widow. And when I say old, I I don't know exactly how this all breaks down. The commentators and those interpreters of the text disagree on this. The ESV has chosen to say she was a widow, verse 37, until she was 84. Others would interpret that to say that she had been a widow for 84 years, which then you add um, seven years on top of that and say at least 13 or so, maybe 14 years, she would be into her early 100s, maybe 103, 104, 105. That feels more consistent with the way he's writing this when he says she was a uh, very advanced in years, or advanced in years. Again, that's a, the politically correct way of saying she's super old. Okay, but even if she was 84, the fact of the matter is, is that this woman was not like any other woman. She was a prophetess, which means what? She was filled with the Spirit. She had the Holy Spirit, and she spoke for the Lord and. Uh, she was incredibly pious and faithful. It says that she was just constantly at the temple, worshiping, praying, and fasting. Uh, Somehow she ate and sustained her life, and I don't think she slept on the steps. She probably had some dwelling, but it was so close, and it was such that she was there so little that she was constantly in the temple. She was the staple of the temple for at least 62 to 64 years, if not even more. Imagine this. Every time you go to the temple to worship, you see her. For 60 plus years at least. When this lady spoke, people listened. She had a voice that would have been increasingly revered. I love that this is a woman. I I love that. In fact, one of the things I love about the, the, the story of the life of Christ as historically delivered to us is the role of women, a prominent role. I think this is historically significant because so often throughout history, even in this culture, there was such a a downplaying and a degrading of the woman. So you have, yes, a righteous man, but you also have a righteous woman filled with the Spirit, and she speaks. She had been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem waiting for the Lord's fulfillment of all of his prophecies and in that moment she said in effect that's him she gives her uh, her additional confirmation this is in fact the messiah this, this is the one we've been waiting for all these years hmm. proclaiming Jesus as messiah there's a lot in these verses and so often at Christmas time, we forget them because we focus on the first part of Luke 2, the birth and the shepherds. Sometimes we talk about the wise men from Matthew 1. And, 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 and often, Simeon and Anna are completely left out. It's good to hear their voice, to hear them chime in. Why is it that Luke included these two in this account? I believe. What he's doing here is he's trying to give this validation. Here's another number of witnesses. They're confirming, in fact, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Credible, known, established, righteous, standing, a layman, a prophetess. Validation. So our response this morning, how can these verses land in our lives? What can we put to work as we walk with God? I think there is an example for us. All of the attention is focused on Christ. You, do you see that? Here's what you don't see. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Oh, this guy's filled. Oh, this would make a big deal about this guy because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, this, she's a prophetess. It's all about the prophetess. And, no, here is what the Spirit delights to do to draw all attention to Jesus. That is spirit filling. That is the role of the Spirit in your life as well. Lock eyes with the Savior, Jesus. That is what he will constantly stir your heart to do. As you are increasingly surrendered to him and filled by his power and and delighting in his word, this this is the, the word of the Spirit, can we just say that? Then Jesus will increasingly be your focus, your joy. What else do we see that is worthy of copying diligent obedience? Year after year, longing, waiting, obeying, trusting, fearing. It's every day. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on through, right? It is a faithful work. It is a fearful work, that which we do to please the Lord from the heart in obedience to him calls us forward in our walk with the Lord. Number two, persevering patience. We're talking years and years and years of waiting. A long time. I think of Anna going every day to the temple. Prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, prayer, 60 plus years at least. And then the day comes. Think of Simeon. All of the years go by, and then his hope is fulfilled. This requires perseverance. In our context, we might just put the word faith on this, right? Obedience and faith. Obedience and faith. Faith in what? Future grace. God is the God of his promise. He has promised he will deliver. We will be faithful while we wait and trust. Number three, eager expectations. They were longing. They were eager. They wanted to see this Messiah. Does that not meet us here today? While we wait for His return? Think of how similar we are to Simeon and Anna. We're on the other side of His work. We know Him as Savior. He has ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and He has said, He will come again. And we say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord. Eager expectation. My great grandma always woke up and said, maybe today, maybe today. That's a good way to start every day. Simeon said the same. Maybe today I'll see him. Maybe today these old eyes will see his face. It could be. It could be tomorrow. It could be another 5,000 years. Who knows? But it could be. Eager expectation. And number four, joyful proclamation. When they saw him, they were overjoyed. And what did they do? Proclaim. Testify. Tell others. Anna especially. She she told everybody she could find, that's the one, it's Jesus. He's the Messiah. Listen to me. Everybody listen. That's where we're at. At work, the family gatherings, when we gather and when we scatter. Joyful proclamation. That's the purpose, the calling of our lives. So diligent obedience, friends, persevering patience and faith, eager expectation, and joyful proclamation. Let's pray. Lord, we think think of the anticipation of Simeon, and the joyful proclamation of Anna. We think of the faithful, uh, persevering, God-fearing obedience. And we pray, Lord, make us like that. Find us faithful. Find us eager for your return. Stir in our hearts, Lord. Fill us with such a joy in you that we can't wait to see our Savior and Lord face to face. That our longing would be one of obedient longing. Patience that is faithful and persevering to the end. But eager and excited. Lord, we know that creation groans and we share that groan. Our world is broken. It is dark. It is sin-stained. And Lord, we long for the day the consolation, as it were, the fulfillment of all of these prophecies of your return, of our future, our great and glorious future where we will know peace without end. And you will be our light. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Help us as we wait and put in our hearts a fire that burns to tell the ends of the earth of a king who has come And is coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anticipation and arrival. Eva, your anticipation has been made full by that $10 bill. Okay. Congratulations. Anticipation and arrival. He's coming. He is coming, friends. Could be soon. Could be today. May He find us eager to see Him. Faithfully laboring in His field. Filled with hope and confidence in His promises. And oh, join with me in saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Go in peace.